Before I begin this morning, let me just say next Sunday, I'm going to be in line with this series um, uh, as we introduce uh, this letter of Galatians. I'm going to be bringing a message on legalism. Uh, there's a whole lot of confusion about what legalism is. And uh, next Sunday, uh, if you've ever had to deal with legalism, um, uh, you'll want to be here to hear um, that message because there's a, uh, a lot of legalism going on today. And uh, maybe you have dealt with that in your past or maybe you're even uh, feeling some pressure uh, in regard to legalism in your Christian walk today. Prominent televangelist Benny Hinn recently renounced the prosperity gospel. This is the gospel on which Hinn has built his ministry. He said prosperity has gone a little crazy. I think it's an offense to the Holy Spirit to place a price on the gospel. I'm done with it. It's time we say it like it is. The gospel is not for sale. And the blessings of God are not for sale. And the miracles of God are not for sale. Now we can commend Benny Hinn if he means what he says. Because the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. But it's not the only false gospel being espoused today. There is the social gospel, which helps meet people's physical and emotional needs, but says nothing or at least very little about their spiritual needs. There is what is called a works gospel, where one is counted right with God based on how good they live their life. Many people, while not rejecting the gospel taught in the Word of God outright, have taken the true gospel and added to it, or they've taken from it to suit their way of thinking or their particular choice of lifestyle. Friend, the true gospel is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. That is the gospel right there in a nutshell. The grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The gospel cannot be supplemented by human effort or obedience. If human obedience is added to any degree, Salvation is impossible. You see, rescue from sin must be all of grace. This is what God did for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Christian life from beginning to end is the result of God's grace and it is empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the book of Galatians, we're going to read where Paul defends the true gospel. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
This book is so important. Martin Luther called it the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. In fact, the book of Galatians is what led Luther in many ways, along with the letter of Romans, to become the reformer, the one who started the reformation against the Catholic Church and its teachings. This message changed Paul's life and through him the lives of others. But in Galatia, this message was being attacked and Paul was out to defend the true gospel. In fact, I want you to hear what Martin Luther said about salvation by grace. He said, to be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins And peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. What he's saying is, is it's just too much for us to take. We just cannot believe that a holy God in love and in grace could save us by not requiring anything of us, but doing everything himself and just simply giving it to us and asking us just to receive it by faith. Paul says, or Martin Luther says, that's too hard for us to comprehend. It's too hard for us to understand. Well, many of the Jewish converts to Christianity who um, had continued to practice their Jewish lifestyle, these believers that Paul had converted um, on his uh, first missionary journey there in Galatia, these Jewish converts had continued to practice their Jewish lifestyle. A group called the Judaizers were teaching that Gentile Christians needed to submit to Jewish laws and customs particularly circumcision, in order to be true Christians. Well, Paul heard this and felt the need to write this letter to silence these Judaizers and to bring the churches of Galatia back to faith in the true gospel which he himself had preached to them. But how does he do that? How does Paul write to defend the true gospel and how does he present his defense in such a way where they will take his word over the teaching of these false teachers, these Judaizers? Who is Paul to write this defense? Well, in the opening verses, Paul lets his readers know he is writing with God-given authority. So that's why I want you to take from the message this morning as you look at this whole book of Galatians and you read what Paul says here, you understand that Paul is writing as God's messenger, as God's ambassador, as God's delegate. And he is simply saying what God himself said to Paul to write, to uh, defend this true gospel with. So Paul's authority to defend the true gospel is from the Lord. You've got to keep that in mind because when you go to doubt what uh, grace is and what the gospel is, you have to fall on the fact that Paul is God's 
appointed apostle. He is God's ambassador speaking for God himself. Well, Paul has three sources of authority we find in these first five verses. The first is his ministry to the Galatians. Now, his authority in his ministry to the Galatians is twofold. First, he wants his readers, particularly those in Galatia, to understand he was an apostle of the Lord Christ. Look in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. <clears throat> In the early days of the church, God called special men to do special tasks. Among them were the apostles. That Greek word apostolos means sent. So an apostle refers to one who is sent on a mission with divine authority. Or you might say a person who has a right to speak for God as his representative or delegate. It was a special term reserved for the 12, those who were among the disciples that Jesus chose as his 12 apostles or, uh, and also for one or two others whom the risen Christ had personally appointed, such as the Apostle Paul. Now, to be an authentic apostle of Christ, a person had to measure up to certain criteria. One, they had to have been eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. Two, they had to uh, confirm their God-given office through uh, miracles and uh, signs and wonders. And then three, they had to have been hand-selected for this unique office by the risen Lord. Well, Paul had fulfilled all of these requirements. Paul um, uh, had been an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Now, uh, it was after the fact. Uh, we know that Paul was converted on the Damascus Road. But Paul heard the voice of the Lord. He saw the Lord on the Damascus Road. So he fits the first criteria. He was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Secondly, Jesus had empowered Paul to perform amazing signs and wonders during his ministry, and the Lord had specifically chosen Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So Paul had, Paul met all the criteria for being a true apostle. Nevertheless, Paul's enemy says he was not a true apostle. They were hoping to discredit his message. So they said, no, Paul's not a real apostle. Paul wasn't an apostle with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Therefore, he was not, his apostleship is not valid. They pointed out that Paul was not one of the original 12. Paul himself acknowledged this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 7 through 10. Here's what Paul said about himself. He said, Then he, Jesus, appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all as to one untimely born. He appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. 
Here it is. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Friend, Paul is claiming he had been appointed an apostle by Jesus, just like the original 12. His apostleship was not from human selection. It was not by human approval, but by divine appointment. So his apostolic title gave Paul the necessary credentials he needed to perform radical spiritual surgery on the Galatian believers. Friend, what that means for you and me is that what Paul says here in Galatians is spoken with authority. The authority of God is behind these words of the Apostle Paul. Paul is speaking for God to you and me today, just like he was speaking originally to the believers in Galatia. And what he says is true, and you can bank on it. That's the first thing I want you to see about his authority related to his ministry. He was an appointed apostle. Secondly, he was the founder of the Galatian church. Look in verse 2. He, say, he addresses this letter to the churches of Galatia. Now, these were the churches in the southern part of the province of Galatia, Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, churches Paul planted on his first missionary journey. Galatia was the Roman province located at the center section of present-day Turkey. In Paul's day, the province was a large area that touched the Black Sea to the north and the Mediterranean Sea in the south. And much of the region was on a large and fertile plateau. Because Paul had found the truth, because Paul had received personal forgiveness for his sins and freedom, spiritual freedom Paul wanted everyone in the world to know Christ as well. And that's what led Paul to have a world vision. That's what led Paul to make his three missionary journeys. This first journey began in A.D. 46 when Paul and Barnabas were commissioned by the church of Antioch in Syria, not the one in Galatia, but in Syria, and they sent Paul and Barnabas to Cyprus, to Pamphylia, and to Galatia. And at each town, they would reach uh, the Jews first. They would go to the synagogues, and they would present the gospel. And then, once they had presented the gospel to the Jews, then they would go beyond the synagogues to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles responded in great numbers. And Paul and Barnabas would establish churches in those cities, Antioch, um, uh, <clears throat> Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. So overall, in spite of the severe opposition from the Jews, um, uh, Paul and Barnabas had great success in Galatia. Acts 13.49 recounts for us that the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. 
So after finishing their missionary journey, what this successful missionary journey, um, where they had seen hundreds of people converted to faith in Christ, and after they had established several new churches in the area, Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch in Syria. Upon the return, they found that some men had come, according to Acts 15 verse 1, down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. These false teachers called Judaizers were Jewish Christians who believed strongly that converts to Christ must keep Jewish law and follow Jewish rites and rituals, especially circumcision and dietary laws. In other words, they were teaching that Gentiles had to become Jewish in order to become Christian. They made the covenant restrictions more important than the cross itself. They acknowledged Jesus as Messiah, but they still look for salvation through works of the law. Friend, when Paul heard that these false teachers had infiltrated the church, the churches in Galatia with this teaching, and began to influence his converts and lead them astray, he was greatly concerned. And sadly, many of them turned away from Paul, their spiritual father, and turned to these Judaizers. They were now following legalistic teachers. How many of us heard the gospel when we were young, gave our heart to Jesus, heard that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then all of a sudden come along and be taught by a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, or some religious leader that, yes, you need to believe in Jesus and his death on the cross, but, and there's always something to fill in the blank that you have to add to your faith in Christ. And this is not just an issue with the Galatian churches. This is an issue that many believers, many churches are dealing with today. And I'm convinced it's one of the reasons that so many people are walking around feeling guilty and feeling ashamed when they don't need to be because they have gotten away from the true gospel and they have allowed themselves to listen to false teachers who have tried to add or take away from the true gospel. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the first thing I want you to see. Paul's ministry, his authority is seen in his apostleship and the fact that he himself planted those churches. Secondly, I want you to see his message, the gospel. 
Now look in verses 3 and 4. Paul reminds the Galatians of the divine message he had uh, been given, that he had given to them, the gospel. In verses 33 and 4, he gives a short, comprehensive outline of the gospel. Look what it says. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver, that word means rescue, us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. What is the gospel? We talked about the gospel a lot here in just the first few minutes of this message. Well, what is the true gospel? Paul's, Paul's laid it out for you right here in these two verses, verses three and four. First of all, the gospel tells us who we are. Friend, we are helpless and we are hopeless. Can I just say that again? We are helpless and we are hopeless. That is what that word deliver or rescue implies. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we've all sinned and come short of God's glory. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. We're hopeless. We're helpless. We're all sinners. And the wages of sin is death. And there is not one of us who is righteous enough to save ourselves. Apart from God's grace, we would remain helpless and hopeless. Other founders of religion came to teach, not rescue. Now it's true, Jesus was a great teacher. But when Paul gives his condensed version of the gospel, he makes no mention of the fact that Jesus was a great teacher. A number of people think a Christian is someone who follows Christ's teaching, follows Christ's example. But Paul implies that's impossible. You cannot follow perfectly Christ's teaching. Think about it. You don't rescue someone who is drowning. um, uh, uh, You don't rescue someone unless they are in a state of helpless condition. Like someone drowning. You don't sit there and watch somebody drowning out in the water and then flip them a manual on how to save themselves. What do you do? You go out with a rope and you pull them in. You do for them what they couldn't do for themselves. You save them. Friend, Jesus is not so much a teacher. Listen, he is not so much a teacher as he is a rescuer. A deliverer. Because that's what we need most. A rescuer. Nothing in who we are or what we do saves us. Note next what Jesus did. How did Jesus rescue us? Look in verse 4. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Here you have the complete work of Christ on our behalf. There are three aspects to Christ's finished work here. First, it was voluntary. Jesus gave himself. He laid his life down willingly. No one took it from him. Second, it was vicarious. 
He gave himself for our sins. Vicarious means substitution. Jesus made a sacrifice and was the substitution for us. A sacrifice that was substitutionary in nature. That word for, every word in scripture is important. That word for there means on behalf of or in place of. See, substitution is why the gospel is so revolutionary. Jesus died in our place or as Paul says, for our sins, on behalf of our sins. He took the punishment we all deserve. His death was vicarious. It was substitutionary. Thirdly, it was victorious. Look what he says. He was able to deliver us from this present evil age. Listen, friend, let me say something. Jesus did not just give you um, or did not merely buy us a second chance. He did not just give us another opportunity to get life right and stay right with God. He did all that we needed to do but cannot do. Salvation is a divine rescue from heaven. And you and I need to understand that when we were in our helpless and hopeless condition, God the Father in grace and in love reached his hand down from heaven and said, I am here. Just take hold of my hand, and I will do everything to get you out of this, to deliver you, to rescue you from this evil world, and the flesh, and the devil, and everything wrong about your life. By placing our faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross, he saves us from this world to the world to come. But it's all by grace. Friend, no one can escape the powerful grip of this world, the powerful grip that this world has on him or her. In a real sense, those without God are slaves to the tyranny of evil. The ruler of this world blinds unbelievers to the truth. Only God can save, and only Christ does save. Look next at what the Father did. <clears throat> God accepted the work of Christ on our behalf. Look in verse 1. By raising Jesus from the dead. He also gave us, according to verse 3, grace and peace, which leads to why did God do it? It was all done out of grace, not because of anything we've done, but according, look in verse 4, according to the will of our God and Father. Salvation comes by grace and results in peace with God. That's the cause and effect of the gospel. 
We are saved by grace, and the result is we have peace with God. We have peace with ourselves. We have peace with others. Grace refers to the gift God makes available despite our unworthiness. Not only does God mercifully withhold judgment and punishment that we deserve, but he grants instead forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. And peace is what Christ offered to his disciples as they lived in an evil world and what he offers us as his followers as we live out our lives in this present evil world. Grace summarizes God's gift to us. Peace summarizes the personal result of that gift. We see then that salvation is sheer grace. Sheer grace. And this is why the only one who gets glory forever and ever, according to verse 5, is God alone. Every religion throughout history has attempted to answer the basic questions of life. How can I be rightly related to God? Different religions provide different answers. One answer according to the Jewish religion, is ritualism. We can be rightly related to God if we follow proper laws and rituals, such as circumcision and dietary laws. Another answer is the legalism of the Pharisees. We can be rightly related to God if we follow the proper law. Another answer is asceticism, the religion of the uh, 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 eastern uh, uh, countries. They say that we can be related to God if we make proper sacrifices. Another answer is activism. We can be rightly related to God if we perform the proper works. In each of these examples, the emphasis is on what we can do for God. The movement is from man to God. But the gospel which Paul proclaimed placed the emphasis on what God has done for us in Christ. The movement is from God to man, not man to God. In fact, you could take all four of those religions I just pointed out and what they require and Paul addressed them or the Bible addresses them in this way. In the book of Colossians, Paul told the Colossians, our relationship with God is not established through the rituals we follow. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Paul told the Romans, our relationship with God is not uh, uh, through the laws we obey. According to the letter of Hebrews, our relationship with God is not obtained through the sacrifices we make. Paul told the Ephesians, which we've just gone through and learned, that our relationship with God is not secured through the works that we do. Friend, according to the gospel, it is not what we do for God that is important. It's what God has already done for us in the finished work of Christ on the cross. 
When Paul preached to the Galatians, he did not simply offer a unique style or a different structure. He presented a brand new message which carried authority. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That brings me to the third of Paul's authority, his motive, the glory of God. Look at verse 5. The Judaizers were not ministering for the glory of God, but for their own glory. Like false teachers today, they were not busy winning lost people to Christ. They were going after other people's converts and then bragging about their statistics. Does that sound contemporary? But Paul's motive was pure. He wanted to glorify God. He says, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Friend, if you and I had contributed to our rescue, if we had delivered ourselves, or even if we simply had called out for rescue based on our um, understanding or reasoning, then we could pat ourselves on the back. We could give ourselves a little credit for the part we played in saving ourselves. But the biblical gospel, the true gospel, the gospel of Paul is clear that salvation from first to last is God's doing. So it is he who deserves all the glory forever and ever and ever. You see, legalism is man's attempt to rob some of the glory from God and to put it on myself. Because if I can make myself look better than someone else in my eyes, then it makes me feel good and makes me feel that I am a little bit better or more spiritual than someone else. This is the humbling truth that lies at the heart of Christianity. We love to be our own saviors. Our hearts love to manufacture glory for ourselves. So we find messages of self-works. We go and listen to teaching that encourages us to do things ourselves But the true gospel comes and turns this teaching upside down. It says, you are in such a hopeless situation that you need a rescue that has nothing to do with you at all. And then it says, God in Jesus Christ provides a rescue which gives you far more than any false salvation your heart may love to chase. Paul reminds us in the gospel that we are both brought lower and raised higher than we can imagine. And the glory for all of that goes to God forever and ever. And Paul says, don't depart 
from the faith that you first heard when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. Trust the true gospel. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. And can I just say something? When you fully understand what Paul is saying, we live in a day where we want to be told, how can I live my life daily? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better wife? How can I be a better person? How can I handle my finances better? How can I handle this or do that better? How can I be a better person? Let me tell you something. When you come to understand what Paul is saying here in Galatians, that your life once was hopeless and helpless, but God in His love and in His grace reached down and rescued you, that is all you need to become a better person, to become a better husband, a better father, to live your life daily in a better way. Because you'd understand, I am nothing. And without God, I would continue to be nothing. But God, in His grace, took me from my lowest point and raised me up and gave me life. Life abundant here and eternal life to come. And all of the glory belongs to Him. And therefore, I choose to live my life daily for Him. Pray with me. Father, I just want to say thank you for putting these words in this letter to the Galatian churches, putting them in the Bible, for encouraging Paul to write these words, for inspiring him through the Holy Spirit to write these words. God, we live in a day when these words are so needed. We just think if we were just a little bit better, if we were a little more spiritual, then you would approve of us more than you do. God, help us to understand that you will never approve of us any more than you already do if we know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And Lord, help us to accept the fact that our salvation is all of grace. And we receive it through faith and nothing else as we look at the finished work of Jesus on the cross and realize He did for me what I absolutely could never have done for myself. And then teach us to live in such a way that we truly 
are transformed by this remarkable truth. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for the grace and peace that is ours through the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.